Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois is your trusted advisor in all things insurance. This week, you're listening to the special segment of Charlie's Corner, hosted by our very own Charlie Venus. Welcome to today's podcast and our guest, Allie Allage, who is the CEO of Blue Steel Cybersecurity. So a little bit about Allie. He is a passionate entrepreneur, cybersecurity nerd, car enthusiast, data storyteller, and technologist. As CEO for Blue Steel Cybersecurity, the mission is to deliver a new approach in intelligent cybersecurity protection, certification, engineering, and strategy services for small to mid-sized organizations. With 20 years of experience leading technology companies, from tech-focused problem solving to the creation of consumer and business applications and platforms, Ali is great at taking what a small specialized group understands and communicating that to the mass market. So welcome to the podcast, Ali. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great for you to be here. So we have done several podcasts in the past on cyber liability and because we're in the insurance business and we have our agent members selling cybersecurity products. But what we wanted to focus on today was really the some risk management and prevention techniques businesses can use to minimize the potential for cyber losses and cyber crime. And I got this from your website and I thought it was just an incredible piece of data. It says, if cyber crime was measured as a country, it would be the third largest economy in the world behind the U.S. and China. That is just absolutely astounding. Yeah. So I wanted to start with people, administrative controls, and what you think people should be doing in terms of cybersecurity training. It was a great statistic that you sort of introed into this. I mean, at the end of the day, it is becoming a business model and it's growing exponentially. And so one of the things that I always uh, start with is around cultural adoption. So a lot of these organizations, if you ask sort of a random staff member, what are some of the best practices that you could follow in order to keep your organization secure and how do you practice them? And a lot of times just asking that one question, you'll, you'll get answers, but none of them within the same organization are the same, right? So someone will say, you know, I don't answer suspicious emails. Someone will say, I tend not to download certain attachments. It's variable. And I think the basics that I usually start with is sort of what's the North Star? What's the common message that everyone needs to go after or be consistent with? And cybersecurity, the, the biggest common issues are always on following the basic principles and ensuring that you're consistently following them as an organization, not only from the top, but also to the bottom. Everyone in the staff, everyone in the organization knows what they have to practice on a daily basis. As I said, the way to find out if that's actually occurring is ask someone randomly in the organization, what do you follow? Is sort of the best approach. Well, yeah, that's a pretty simple assessment technique too. Yeah. So when you look at email, website browsing, social media policies, what do you typically see out there and what are your recommendations to improve those areas or, or maximize the controls in that space? I'm a big fan of compliance because compliance is sort of your measure of a best practice, right? And it depends on the compliance. Typically, what organizations have and what I've seen is it's based on sort of the IT department and their firewall rules. They'll tell you either you can go to a social media site or you can't, right? Um, a lot of times the communication policies of the organization 
sort of take some level of factor. So if there's a marketing department and they're trying to promote a lot of messaging or subject matter expertise, they'll sort of open that up and allow the staff members to sort of participate in social, share a company's information. From my perspective, in terms of social media is concerned, you know, it really comes down to what sort of information you're willing to, you know, share with a neighbor, share with a good friend, and whether or not by putting it out there, what the risk level of exposure is. Some of the best practices that hackers will use is social engineering. So depending on what you put out there, a lot of times that could be used in order to figure out ways of gaining entry into an organization's infrastructure and their the repository of, of data. I always firmly believe as a best practice to make sure that whatever information is shared on social media is information that you wouldn't feel comfortable giving out to publicly available markets or individuals or audiences. I don't necessarily believe in sharing where you're going to go as far as vacation. I never really like it when, let's say, staff members share uh, meeting locations or certain pieces of information like that. Typically, it's sort of to keep it within an, an area that you don't necessarily want to give out to the masses. If it's information that's sensitive that you would want to only give to, let's say, uh, a relative or sort of close acquaintances, I usually say that's probably information you don't want to give out onto social media. Now, when you look at email, because historically mm-hmm. so many of the the cyber crimes have emanated from phishing attempts or you mm-hmm. know some type of zip file that you get or some other type of attachment or links, what kind of controls should companies have over the email system? From my perspective, from a technical perspective, there's a lot of tool sets to manage what gets to the inbox and what doesn't, right? We even, as an organization, participate in what we call like phishing games. We'll assess the company's culture, do a little bit of social engineering ourselves. And then if we know, let's say everyone's into concerts or music after the pandemic, probably not as much, but now that things are opening up, maybe so. And sending out emails and taking a statistical uh, count as far as how many people open it. I would say if it's out of the blue, especially if it's in a uh, work environment, work email, you know, the best practice really is to not open it, not open the attachment, keep it quarantined and have it reviewed by, let's say, IT staff, right? Uh, Typically, there's a lot of tools out there, depending on whether or not the organization has a policy on phishing emails or how they scan emails that do come into the inbox. Um, It's something that can flag and send off to IT to, to sort of cleanse before you do anything with it. I'll tell you, when it comes to sort of the malware approach, it's at to the point where there is a sophisticated business model attached to it. And it's no different than any one of these spam email messages that we get all the time. You know, typically what they have is a framework, they get an email list, and then they just hit up the email list. Probability of what they're looking at is they send it out to a thousand people. And the hope is, is that one to 2% open the emails. It's no different than your typical marketing campaign. And so if you think about it in that case, how many of these emails are you getting on a frequent basis that could be potential phishing emails? And you don't even need to go as far as opening up an attachment. That's how sophisticated these things are getting. So anything suspicious, anything out of the ordinary, my suggestion is quarantine it and then send it to the appropriate internal staff to do a review or cleanse. Or if you have something on your device to do so, I would do so. You read about application security, information security, and network security. Can you explain the differences between each of those? Yeah. So information security typically is where the organizations that house data, right? So this is your data infrastructure. You know, it's no different than saying a farm of databases, 
has its own ecosystem. These days we have business intelligence tools that access this information. So, you know, dashboards, statistics, all sorts of things that derive from there. You have your network systems where essentially this is your flow of information. So these are your networks with your Wi-Fi devices, end users, your typical operations is conducted using technology. And then you have your application security, which really falls on if your organization provides a product, a software product, or um, if you're using software products from different levels of vendors, there's vulnerability uh, aspects to that as well. An example would be is if you use cloud solution, like say Salesforce, um, not to say Salesforce is not highly locked down, but let's say you use Salesforce, you're putting in a lot of your customer or your information there um, into that database, You know whether or not it has the ability to be uh, penetrated, to acquire your customer's information. Those are sort of the three areas. So one is sort of the products you use, one is more on your operational flow, and one is your organization's internal storage or information repository. When you're working with a company, are you recommending that they have their own servers or that they use cloud storage? Or do you recommend both just different types of controls? The most secure thing you possibly have is a machine on-premise that has access to nothing. Right? <laughs> it literally is like the, is is probably one of the most uh, secure ways. I mean, even that has its issues because what if the hardware fails, right? So you can go down different levels of rabbit holes, right? Ultimately, it really depends on the type of business, right? It's not a one size fits all. If you're in an area where you're prone to natural disasters, then on-prem, you know, on-premise devices may not be the best solution there. Um, you could have them, but if you have a great disaster recovery systems, which is we're hearing about a lot with some of these ransomware attacks, where you know it's essentially you wipe everything clean and bring the last backup online. You know, I've seen organizations are solely on premise, but then they have sort of a redundant on-cloud version operating its own enclave. So it's in an enclosed environmental area. So if something happens to the stuff that's on premise, they can immediately switch to the cloud. With the organizations I've worked with, so it's a long story that I'm kind of giving a long answer response, but it really all comes down to it depends. Factoring in your environmental variables, your operational variables, it could be a hybrid, it could be one or the other. It really depends on uh, the risk levels that the organization's facing. In both scenarios, it, you need to have that backup. You either need to have a mirror image of your on-site server or a cloud backup of that. And if you're using the cloud, you need to have it stored in multiple sites. Correct. Yeah. I'm a fan of redundancy. Uh, having redundancy, you, you have to make, I mean, it's more to manage. You have to be careful with where you store this information as well. Some of the things that I've seen work really well, like I said, is it is the backup solution that sort of operates on its own uh, sort of island or series of islands. Um, I also like the idea of uh, hybrid solutions personally, just because if one area should fail, you have the ability for immediate fail safe. Um, and then if that should fail, then you go to the the recovery mode um, because that does there is a time gap or time lapse that occurs when you have to go to your recovery process. But uh, like you said, uh, having backups at a minimum is a is a really great way to operate securely. From a network standpoint, you hear about firewalls, intrusion testing. 
take us through what all that means and, and how you go about that and what customers should be thinking about with that network security. You know, there's a difference between so intrusion detection and detection. Really, all of it comes down to the central aspect of what you have as far as a firewall. And now a firewall is sort of loosely used in the sense of saying, well, if you have a singular network, you have a firewall to protect your devices. These days, the whole point of a firewall is to make sure that you keep outsiders out and you keep the insiders from operating safely when they go outside. Um, and then you just want to make sure that you have ways or channels to prevent unauthorized access into the central network. Sophisticated networks have um, actually layers of firewall control systems, right, where there are combinations of hardware, right? So these are the things that sit in your local on-premise network area, you have cloud solutions that have firewall devices as well. And then you have software levels of firewall, which are meant for different purposes and aspects. And so depending on coming from compliance, you have a standard of how you configure all these variables. And then once you have a baseline configuration, this is how we're going to operate. We're going to allow this sort of traffic coming in. And these are VPN. So if you have remote users, they have to log on to a VPN, so a virtual private network. They tunnel right into and, and sort of get access into the internal network. And then you have what's allowed and what isn't allowed as users of the network. Uh, and the firewall sort of dictates based on its configuration what, what is allowed and what isn't. Once you have that configuration set, then it's a matter of, uh, depending on the services that you use, you can run different levels of penetration testing. So pen testing, you have different forms of it. But what that does is, is it basically allows the services organization or the vendor to run threat models, right? Threat scenarios to try to gain access to bypass firewall. A lot of times, uh, depending on the hardware or software you use, it'll carry a log and tell you how many attempts were made to gain access to the network through the firewall, what the firewall protect against, what it allowed through or cautioned with. So it's a great setup to have if you're trying to keep a, a site of the network locked down. Uh, but it all is dependent on a policy that dictates what configuration should be set up on the firewall in order to monitor what sort of unusual behavior is being conducted and versus what's standard. Now, is it customary that, you know, a business that is utilizing a IT consultant for support, that they do all this testing of their system? So there's different types of vendors out there. There's what's considered the MSP, so managed services provider that's your IT support. They take care of the daily operations of, uh, you know, if someone has an issue with their device or uh, software that they can submit a trouble ticket. Then you have managed security services provider, your MSSP. So these are the ones who monitors. There's so many tool sets and technology out there that can monitor, capture all sorts of different types of activity in different ranges. Companies can enlist outside services. You can also invest in building your own internal infrastructure. There is a cost value proposition associated with that. The benefits of a third party is that you have what would be independent, technically unbiased evaluation of the security posture of the organization. A lot of certification compliance measures require that because they don't want any sort of uh, leeway in the sense of what, what is allowed and what isn't. As far as operational is concerned, you know, I've seen it work on both sides. Like I said, it, it comes down to cost value. Internally, you have to have the resources and the licensing tool sets to manage all this stuff. Whereas hiring out a third party alleviates a lot of that cost, but it comes with, you have to evaluate and keep, make sure that the third party is doing what they're saying they're doing. And then 
it's sort of you're relying on them to be your your fail safe when it comes to your IT operations. So again, it comes down to risk and what what the organization is comfortable with. I also seen hybrid internal mix in with external resources, which I think is the probably the better approach. Join us next week to discuss how working remotely has changed the cybersecurity landscape and more with Ali Allage. Thanks for listening to this edition of Charlie's Corner, brought to you by Iroquois Group. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I invite you to join us for the next edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast.